Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the soundtrack to a life. Military march, in and out my head, everything I did, everything I say, yeah, take it to the arch, for your happiness, or spend it like a lark, singing for nothing. I, I get no joy. And welcome back to the soundtrack to a life. I continue to be Chris. Dan continues to be here. That continued to go better than last episode's introduction. It's more succinct, certainly. Some. But I am, in fact, still here. So I can stand by the accuracy. Factually accurate is the best kind of accurate. Emotionally accurate isn't a thing. And Dan and I are here today talking about Jade Bird's 2019 self-titled record, Jade Bird. Dan, tell me about this piece of music. What's your uh, relationship with it? Well, having been driving around a lot in the summer of 2018, when Jade Bird snuck into Canadian records, or Canadian uh, radio play for a little while, when they still had realized they didn't know what to make of her as a complete artist, I uh, heard uh-huh a lot, and like anybody else, immediately assumed that this was the new song from L. King, author of X's and O's, and was stunned to find out that I was wrong. Oh. It's like, okay, well, this song definitely slaps. Let me find out more about who Jade Bird is. Oh, she is a tiny British woman who, for some reason, sings like she's lived a full life in Nashville, filled with loves and affairs and crushing disappointments, and not 21 years of life in Britain. Yeah, she's a lot more Nashville than you would expect. But then, you know, I continued to look her up because her voice was incredible on Aha, so I wanted to know more. Then I discovered Love Has All Been Done Before, and I was like, oh, hey, that's not even her best song or her best video. Hey, she has a stable band. I guess she would. I mean, that makes sense. Um, speaking of, I will say for the record to the listeners at home, rather than suggesting that I listen to this, Dan took me to a Jade Bird show because he is a very full-service podcast guest. Mike, Liv, you could take lessons from this. And also, how fucking good was that show? It was very good. Oh my god. She destroys it live. Yes. Really comes prepared. I did not expect her to cover Call Me by Blondie. I was happy that it happened. Gotta throw some covers in there. It's when your debut album. When you're touring your first album, you do need to flesh out with some covers. Didn't expect that one. And yet it worked. Like, it was one of those things that you didn't know that you wanted until you were hearing it. Then it's happening. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. Yeah, this is the correct call. She makes a lot of correct calls on this record as well as live. For a debut, this is an incredibly self-assured piece of music. Like, she is coming into this with an incredibly well-developed sense of what kind of music that she wants to make. And you're right, she definitely sounds like a much older artist in a much more Nashville tradition than you would think was coming, either given who she actually is or given the state of pop music in 2019. Like, there are definitely times when a tiny person who sings like a much more experienced person would sound appropriate in the field of pop. But I guess in 2019, nothing sounds like anything anymore, and any bizarre tangent could happen. Yep. We discussed how Billie Eilish is just doing a weird amount of sounds that somehow combined to be a song. Yeah! It's a song. It's just incredibly strange. And I like that this is the state of pop. Very recently, like, as of the 
first episode of this show, I could talk about four or five people who made all of the pop music, and everyone would know immediately who those four or five people are, and that is not the case anymore, and I think that we're richer for it. Yes, not everything is quite so Timbaland. Yeah, not everything's quite so Timbaland, not everything is quite so Pharrell. A lot of things were Pharrell. A lot of things were very Pharrell. We got to watch every pop singer run up against Old Town Road and then fail to hit number one. And that was very funny. Yeah. Or you get something like this, where even three years ago, something that was this small and spare and personal sounding would have sounded incredibly out of place on the radio. But when there are no rules, then something can sneak in. Which is nice. Because Ruins, which is the first song on her album, it's not one that would attract a lot of mainstream radio play, because as you said, it's a much smaller and personal one that I found a message I could really connect to, which was the difficulty of being in a relationship when you're still trying to figure out how your own brain is going to work and how you function as a person. Yeah, absolutely. And she really sells it because it's really obviously personal to her. And also because she has a fucking gorgeous belt range yeah that can carry a song into the atmosphere above you that does help a lot it does she can really hit a good belt note yeah like we were talking two weeks ago about artists who aren't technically good singers but are perfect for the material that they're doing jade bird here is obviously both and she sounds like a older performer with a lifetime behind her from nashville tennessee but still with 21 year old energy which is good, because you wouldn't want any of her, uh-huh, feels like a song she'll have to stop doing live in 20 years or blow out a vocal cord. There's a good chance that that will be the case. I definitely never would have guessed she was from the UK, either. No, that was not something I'd have assumed until I actually heard her speak on a YouTube video. I was like, oh, no, wow, you're very London. Yeah, but I guess that's that Dusty Springfield school of, look, this style of music's not going to work with my natural accent, so I'm going to fly to Nashville. Gonna have to bury a little bit of the regional dialect. Yeah. Not like anybody actually sings with an accent. Everyone is raised on the same pop music. Yeah. So we grow up with the singing voice pop equivalent of a mid-Atlantic. We've known this since the commitment. And he said, you have to get all the Irish out of your voice if we're going to sing the blues. Which feels... Weird, but correct. Please tweet your comments about how the Commitments did not sing the blues to Soundtrack of Life. But you know what? They sang the blues. Didn't realize that that was a hill that I was willing to die on until Dan attributed it to me. But we're here now, and I feel like we have to commit. The Commitments sang the goddamn blues. Speaking of the blues, that brings us to Lottery. Oh, Lottery is such a great song. It's so beautifully wistful. Yeah, I find, because it never addresses this relationship has collapsed, but it's hinted in the margins of the past tense of the chorus. Yeah. You used to say love was a lottery. Yeah, there's not a big, bold, happy future for the protagonist of that song. She does a great job mixing incredibly uplifting material or incredibly uplifting sounds with a lot of sense of personal tragedy. Yeah, there's a lot of melancholy to the lyrics of the chorus of Lottery, but she still sings it in a very uplifting fashion. Yeah, it's a great juxtaposition. Like, the arrangements of the songs and the stories that she's telling are all very minimalist. 
but the way in which she's telling and the way she, which she's singing is so huge and expansive. Yeah, gives that one a wonderful bittersweetness to it. Yeah, absolutely. This is perfect music to scream to the sky from the driver's seat of a convertible on your way to a new adventure after enduring some kind of hardship. There's an I'm finally freeness to it. And a lot of music can sound free or freeing or liberated, but in general, if it does, you don't get the sense of what had come before that you are free of. Find my motto is a good one yep. for feeling free. So that one is about, this sucks now, but it might not forever. Which is absolutely something that we could stand to be reminded of every two or three years. Everyone yeah. in the world. It's always nice to just keep that in mind. Yeah. Future me will have totally different bullshit from this to deal with. And will have completely forgotten current bullshit. None of this will matter once we're fighting off the toxic mutants. Man... Remember previous to the Toxic Mutants when we were only worried about climate change murdering us? Oh, those were nice. Yeah. Instead, we're just hoping that maybe the Toxic Mutants can't survive a nuclear winter. Well, I mean, one would hope. One would hope. One did hope when we launched all those nukes. That was, oh, what was that? Oh, that was from one of my nano projects. One of the subplots was that off-screen, Cthulhu had risen from beneath the ocean, so the U.S. government nuked it immediately. And successfully. But there are definitely radioactive mutants now. Technically better, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Pe people would argue about the <laughs> ethics of that. No, look, it was a giant sea monster from beneath the sea. You have to do something. Yeah, but you can't drop nukes on your own country. Technically, you dropped it on the sea. Partially international waters. I don't see how it's entirely on us. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is... Like, there's an authenticity to it. Yeah. It's got almost like a late 80s college rock feel to it. Like a 10,000 Maniacs or a mid-period R.E.M. or an XTC or a Suzanne Vega type of a thing. Where it's produced in a really immaculate, radio-friendly pop way. But the songs are not designed that way. Like, it's an alternative act being heavily cleaned up. Which... As a lifelong R.E.M. fan, I have a ton of time for that weird tension. Between trying to be the alternative and still trying to be just a little bit more marketable. Yeah. Like, you put two people together, one of them wants to make great art, and one of them wants for anyone to listen to this art, and then let them butt heads in the studio for a few months. Replace music with computer programming that made some great seasons of Halt and Catch Fire. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's very expertly written, but it's also very personal-sounding. And while I do think that pop artists like Carly Rae Jepsen or Charlie XCX are being very authentic to who they are, it still doesn't sound as universal when they do dance pop about it. Yeah. You can't just dance at all your problems. Some, but not all. Sometimes you need to do an angry song about how your ex's new girl is also terrible. <laughs> it's like, hey, it's none of my business. I don't want to get involved, but your new girlfriend's definitely cheating on you. Anyway, have fun with that. <laughs> Everybody knows it. By the way, it's just you. You're a chump. Yeah. I would love to say that I'm a better person than enjoying that when it's happened. It's hard to be. Do you know what? I'm sometimes petty. I can live with that about myself. I do then wonder if this same mystery evil girlfriend 
with the pretty blonde platinum do in uh-huh is the same one with the hair down her spine and the silver dress from is she good at it i mean she might be statistically yeah it's probable my instinct for very personal singer-songwriter types is that songs like that are drawn from their real life, but I suppose they don't have to be. No. We just got used to the fact that they so often would be due to the Taylor Swift of it all. It's like Carly Rae Jepsen's Julian. She paused in that concert that we saw to explain that there was a Canadian boy named Julian she dated for three months, but this song is not about him. He just has a very musical name. He does. Then gave a cheerful shout of, Don't call me! And back into the song. <laughs> That's not Tom Waits telling a story about Civil War <laughs> impregnations with a musket ball, but it was a pretty good interjection. <laughs> I mean, it's a fair point. He does have a musical name. And if she doesn't stop to make that clear... He might get the wrong idea. He'll hear the song and go, Oh, I dated you for like three... How are you years later? <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. Or worse yet, Hey, I should give that another go. Yeah. Neither of them are great outcomes. Yeah. This is the record, and I don't know why I'm having this pointless of a run at somebody who I do quite genuinely enjoy in large part. This is the record that I wished that the Lewis Capaldi record could be. Because somebody you loved. Have you not seen that one? No. Um, it's a tender, heartfelt ballad about somebody singing to someone who used to love him. But the video to it was Peter Capaldi of Doctor Who and relative of Lewis Capaldi in real life. I wondered. Puttering around the house, uh, working in his garden, checking the mail, you know, really just mourning his dead wife while the song plays in the background. And then in the end, he goes to visit a young woman who received his wife's heart in an organ donation type thing. Okay. Because in her last act, she saved people's lives. And it was very heartwarming. And it added a lot of depth and breadth to the song that I don't know was there. Yeah, I don't feel like that was part of the lyrics. No, but once you're seeing the video, it is heart-wrenching, and he's got a beautiful voice, and then you go out and you buy the record and you bring it back, and Peter Capaldi is not acting out all of the songs for you in your living room. And that sort of takes away from it. Yeah, we needed that synthesis. This feels like the record that I was hoping that that would be. Yes. All of the songs are sweet and sad and poetic, and they all fly on their own. And I do not need to be watching Jade Bird forced to continually do the same car wreck stunt over and over until the director feels he's gotten it to fully appreciate I Get No Joy, which is what happens in the video for I Get No Joy. Just forcing her to do the same stunt over and over again? Yeah. Or the stunt itself? Making her do the stunt over and over again. Oh, that's hilarious. I gotta check that out. That is a weird hook for a video. All right, do the stunt. I don't think we got the shot. Clean the blood off. Let's try again. Oof. That feels like it would be very funny to watch, actually. Like, yeah, I get it. You get no joy from this. I don't question it. Yep, which is a weird title for a song that does sound that joyous. It is a very upbeat song. I have one issue with I Get No Joy that no other human does because all other humans have rational brains or at least irrational brains that don't do what i do there's a part in the chorus where she begins singing very fast it's, i get no joy twice 
and then very quickly sings all the words my mother said can't seem to get them out of my head everything becomes everything you live you learn you love you're dead i quite like that part of the song yeah it makes sense to me when i'm listening to it if i'm just playing the song in my head if i'm just thinking my way through the lyrics i get to that part of the chorus and i immediately go to the fast bit of the epic rap battle of history between edgar Allan poe and stephen king so i'm just yeah. sitting along humming myself i get no joy Stephen, you pretend to do it. I've been really living through it. Misery and poverty and family woes. I get no joy. And I can't stop. I know it's wrong. It just happens. Oh, that is such a completely specific problem to have with a song. This is why I say no other human being has encountered this difficulty. That is a fact. Your troubles are not universal. I don't even think it'll be contagious. Now that people have heard I have this problem, they'll think that's weird. They'll listen to I Get No Joy because they should. And they will not immediately go into epic rap battles of history, Edgar Allan Poe, because why? It's not melodically similar at all. It's just another section of somebody going fast. Yeah. Suddenly speeding the song up in order to fit extra lines in, for some reason, is part of a tradition in UK-based singer-songwriter songwriting. Like, it's the Elvis Costello, Joe Jackson, I don't care if it scans, I'll make it scan on the day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, when they're good at it, it scans on the day, and everyone's fine. Until you try to sing it yourself. But then it gets a little trickier. A little. A little. In addition to 80s, like late 80s college rock type situations, I think that she would have done extremely well for herself in the early 70s, like that whole James Taylor sun-soaked California vibe. Although I didn't care for that era of music, so probably for the best that she wasn't from my perspective, although I'm sure it would have made her so much more money. Possible. <laughs> like, uh, observing her Instagram, her UK shows sell way better than her Canadian show. You could have fit the venue we saw her in in Calgary into her Manchester venue about six times over. Oh, absolutely. And she's already doing well enough here that she does a Calgary show. Yeah. The number of shows that I have had to travel to either Van or Toronto or not seen. It's taken years to get a new pornographer's show in Calgary. Otherwise, I would just... No, not new pornographers. Uh, Postmodern Jukebox. I have flown them to Vancouver to see Postmodern Jukebox twice. Then they finally came to Calgary, and they brought Robin Adele Anderson, and it was magical. Nice! And yeah, advice to everyone at home. If you have the opportunity to see a performer in a country in which they are not famous, do that rather than seeing them in a country in which they are. Because we caught Jade Bird in a small to medium-sized club where she could make eye contact with everybody in the room. And I do feel like that is a much more intimate experience of an artist for the artists that require that. You don't need to see Fall Out Boy in a club. No. The 30,000 other people scream singing, this ain't a scene, it's a goddamned arms race with you is an important part of that project. I feel that would be very important to enjoying a Fall Out Boy concert. Yeah, you need that kind of happy crowd energy in the maximum amount. And everything's going to explode anyway. So you don't need that clear a view of what's going on. I enjoyed the part of her concert where she moved towards the piano for the softer ballads and realized one of the band had left their guitar right in front of the piano. <laughs> like, oh, 
no, there's a guitar. Okay, I guess people just won't be able to see me for this bit. That's all right. <laughs> Rody comes on, moves the guitar. Oh, we're oh yes. hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she is a fun performer to see. She is clearly having a blast being a famous person, making up-tempo, sprightly folk pop music, and then ending it on a tortured-sounding piano ballad called If I Die, which I do love. That's a great song. It's a weird song to end a record on, though. And it was her encore song. Like, this has been a big thing for me in concerts recently, is going to see an artist realizing, huh, I'm not sufficiently familiar with your career arc to be able to predict what you're going to end on, what you're saving for encore, what you're going to open with. It's like, okay, I am vaguely familiar with Carly Rae Jepsen. I honestly don't know where Call Me Maybe is going to fit in. Is she going to open with it? Is she going to close with it? Is she going to skip? Oh, okay, like six songs in. So first half, yeah. this is where Duran Duran would put New Moon on Monday. Okay, now I understand where that fits in her greater career arc. I mean... I'm sure it bought her a house. Probably did. It's certainly not the one that I go to her for. No. Much like the breakout here in Canada was, uh-huh, but my favorite is now Love Has All Been Done Before. Love Has All Been Done Before is incredibly good. She did, air quotes, close on that, because all concerts have encores. The closing number is an illusion. That's pretty what much how that goes. Duran, Duran, you're coming back out here and you're singing Rio, and we all know it. Right? It's interesting with Duran Duran, because I'm willing to follow weird tangents, because they had so many hits over a period, and they were all, like, approximately equally big yeah. compared to one another, but everyone agrees that it is Rio. Yeah, they open on Hungry Like the Wolf, and they close on Rio, and they have several songs that aren't that big a hit, but they're not perceived in the same level as Rio or Hungry Like the Wolf. Yeah, like, the Reflex went to number one, their James Bond theme went to number one, it's still, like, top half Bond theme. That's a good Bond theme, but you definitely, neither of them would get played at the end of an encore. No. Maybe that's the benefit of decades of hindsight. And I look forward to hearing what Jade Bird does next. Yes. This is a style of music that she is going to age into well. I would say so. Every punk band by their 40s has to figure out what their second act is. Green Days is very confusing. Yeah, I mean... They worked it, though. Yeah. But music like this, we're seeing now with your Keens or your Travises or your Doves and that whole weird late 90s, early 2000 period where every alternative band was making chill-out music for some reason. It's a weird flex. Like, yeah. Like, I guess Coldplay would be the people who actually survived as a thriving pop concept from that era. But at the time when it was coming out, it was really jarring to me. Because I was still in an age where I did not require chill-out music from my alternative bands. But as I age... It becomes welcome. Yeah, absolutely. I'm liking it more and more. All of those bands were great. They put some smart, sharp songwriting in. You could put a record on and read a book. It had a fun hangout vibe for if you're having people over. And it did not expect you to expend too much energy. I am aging rapidly and badly. And this is the music that is appealing to me more. Yeah, and if anything, Jade Bird's music sounds almost too jaded and worldly for having just turned 22 while touring this album. 22-year-olds are cynical. Yeah, this is what I'm getting, is that there is a whole new level of 
early onset cynicism that makes sense if you think about it even medium hard and look at the world. Yeah, I don't know. We were pretty cynical. An old colleague of mine, Lindsay Mullen, did a burlesque show about feminism and feminist-related issues. It was very good. And one of her co-stars did a very low-key rap about hookup culture and how emotionally draining it is. I would imagine. I would imagine that it would be. Including, I, I think, the lyric, I'm 24 and I've never been in love. Oh. Because instead of relationships as we know them, it's now just texting you up on Tinder. I mean, convenient. You can't argue with the convenience. I got asked, yeah, but how do people even date previous to dating sites? And I felt more old than I have ever felt in my life as I explained to them that you would just hook up with somebody who you already know while drunk at a party. And that was good because you knew that you would be able to talk to each other over breakfast the next morning. Which is not a guarantee you have well, through the modern systems. No. But at the same time, if you break up with somebody that you met on Tinder, you don't have to see them at work the next day. There is that. That feels great There's for less, people navigating that world today. There's less dividing the friend group. Yeah. You don't have to, like, negotiate out who gets custody of what person that you both like. That was a thing I really related to in establishing the premise of the brilliant but short-lived short compared to how long I wanted to go sitcom Happy Endings. Yeah. Which was the central couple breaks up at the top of the pilot, but agreed to try to continue to tolerate each other to avoid splitting up the friend group because we're all in our 30s now and I don't even know how to make new friends. They also agree. A woman tried to talk to me on the plane and I pretended to have a learning disability. Ooh. <laughs> Wait, what the hell am I supposed to do? Just walk up to some guy and go, hey, blah, 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 sports. <laughs> I hate how relatable I find that. But I think, I do think that there was a cynicism. I mean, for Christ's sake, 80% of the music that we listened to were people on heroin talking about the bleakness of existence in the late 20th century. There was a lot of that. Yeah. Market's not cornered. It's just, in cases like this, they're doing something really weird with the tension between music and content. So that when the cynicism does peek through... It catches you a lot more by surprise. Most of the prime period grunge bands, no one would ever listen to and then be surprised when they find out that the lyrics are cynical. No. Like, no one expected Nirvana's music to be cheerful if you really dug into it. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Whereas this is a crowd-pleasing anthem about an ugly breakup and your emotional state in its aftermath. Yeah. Love has all been done before. Absolutely bangs or slaps or however people describe music that is head-bangingly appealing. I believe that it does both. I think both are equally appropriate. But at its core, it's about, I don't know how to do conventional romance because conventional romance feels so played out through whatever it happened. I need something else from a relationship I can't even properly define. Yeah, which is, I think, a normal thing to feel at 21. Yeah. Like, I definitely believed that I was truly and deeply and permanently in love in a way that was meaningful and would last forever with whomever the fuck I was dating when I was 21 years old. But obviously I wasn't, because here we are. <laughs> That's early 20s romance. I need that magical spark, that thing that tells me this is destined to be. 
30 something love is okay are we doing this or what <laughs> <laughs> i mean kind of it's liz lemon and michael sheen's wesley snipes on 30 rock oh look we basically function oh that was not a good love story i hope that we're better than that i don't know that we're better than that <laughs> A hilarious bit about the name Wesley Snipes, but that's a different podcast. Yeah. That's a podcast about reciting better jokes Tina Fey wrote. Man, Tina Fey was very good. And yeah, I have, I think, I don't know when, I think it was probably to my mid to late 20s. Got to the point where if somebody was like, oh yeah, no, I married my high school uh, sweetheart. Oh. Is it weird that I respect you less because of that? Yes. <laughs> that's okay. That brings its whole baggage. Have you done... So wait... <laughs> The first person you dated? That's a call. Are you positive you nailed it right off the bat, or do you just not have anything to compare it to? I liked you as a couple previous to learning this damaging piece of information about your relationship. But that could be putting my own baggage on top of somebody else's story. It could be. In the end, whatever works for you, I suppose. That's, I guess... If you find love and happiness doing something, I can't begrudge you that. That's not what this show is about. Just know that while you're out at work, she's doing what you did to me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Brought it back. Damn right. God damn, this was a good record. I'm glad that I got you in in time to do this for the December issues, because January is going to be my year in review. Right. Where I do concerts that I saw over the course of 2019, and then my top 10 album breakdown. And it definitely would have been weird when Jade Bird shows up on that. If you hadn't covered go, it. Dan introduced me to this. Not that you've heard anything about that, but he did, and it's excellent, and you'll hear about it soon. So let me give you a much smaller rundown of why I liked it beforehand to spoil everything. Now, your listeners have all this time to really familiarize yourself with this tiny British woman's powerful-voiced Nashville sounds. Yeah, she's great. It's a great combination of weird factors coming together to create something a lot bigger than the sum of its parts. Yeah. I am looking forward to a lot more weird shit from her. I'm going to assume that now that this has broken her into a more mainstream pop place, that she's going to start cropping up in weird places. That seems like it could happen. That's usually how it works, right? You get your breakout, and then all of a sudden you start getting used in just everything. I look forward to a strange duet with a male pop singer who I don't expect and probably won't find appropriate. No, probably somebody also British. I would. Estimate, you can just say Ed Sheeran. I was going to aim like 10 years older than her, but I honestly don't know how old Ed Sheeran is. Maybe Ed, that's true. Ed Sheeran does not age. Uh, Seems a good bet, though. He has been Ed Sheeraning it up for at least a decade, probably. See, I know little enough about Ed Sheeran that I wasn't even thrown by his Game of Thrones cameo, because I'm just like, oh, that Lannister soldier has red hair and sings well. I wonder if Arya's going to murder him. I feel like maybe Arya murders these people, or maybe they attack Arya. Oh, no, it's just sweet. Oh. It's not something I expect from an Arya story. Good for Ed Sheeran. I wanted to go for Halloween, but then a whole bunch of life fell on me and I didn't wind up doing anything for Halloween. That can't happen. Get a couple of animal onesies and then go as Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber from the I Don't Care video. If you're not familiar with this video, feel free to not look it up. I'm going to not put it in the show notes. It's not a good video. 
One more weird incongruity I found on this album. Uh, I would not describe Jade Bird as a country singer because I don't believe that country is music. And I like Jade Bird, so that is going to be a discongruity in my head anytime you try to push me in that direction. But Going Gone is the closest thing she comes to a conventional country song. It still doesn't have a fiddle, which, as we discussed with Tom Waits, if you don't have a fiddle, you're not full country. Yeah. But it is her twangiest number, and yet... The only one in which she uses the same accent that she speaks in? Yeah, it's the one that gives away how British she is, even in the lyrics. Yeah, that is I'm unusual. your girlfriend, not your mate. That's a very British thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Also, how can you claim that country music's not music? Johnny Cash's music? Eh. I mean, granted, punk rock adopted him. Yes. They pulled him out. <laughs> We're done. You're a punk singer now. All right, but I am going to sound exactly the same. We're fine with that. When Nine Inch Nails says, nope, that's his song now, it's done, it's happened. All right, all right. What about, uh, what about, like, Wilco and some of the weird early 2000s alt-country people? Didn't pay attention to them. Fair enough. I'm going to see Wilco when they come to town. It's going to be good? Yep. I mean, I hope it's it'll be good. I bought, the goddamn, I bought the goddamn tickets. Well, you always <laughs> hope something will be good if you buy a ticket to it. Yeah. I think it'd be fun. They curate their own music festival. They make alt-country music for northern people who don't speak with twangs. That was what murdered the Dixie Chicks. They produced Not Ready to Make Nice, like an alt-country album. Pitched it toward northern left-of-center people politically because red state people kind of hated them after they had a run at George Bush. Yeah. And then they realized that while they were still very good at making music, the market for alt-country is not going to let you dominate mainstream radio play for the next 14 months. It is not. So much as get you a small but devoted group of people going, yeah, I think it's good. I could see Jade Bird fitting in with that. Potentially, yes. Like, definitely a little too weird for the genre that she's trying to make. But still... I think she has one song in that vein on her debut album. Just as a, an experiment. Yeah. Like, let's, I'm going to try pushing it that far. Get into, like, 80% hoedown territory. Just see how it feels. See if people connect to it. She is doing the Nashville-sounding thing. It's natural to want to see how far you can take the Nashville influence. That's exactly right. But I guess that's 40-something minutes, so we're getting closer to the end. Uh, I'm going to end the episode because I'm going to remember how I end my episodes by answering three questions. Yeah, I'm going to listen to this again. Yes, I'm going to listen to more music by Jade Bird, although I will have to wait until she releases some. She will need to make more music for that to happen. And we're going to close, I think, on Lottery. Lottery's a good one to close on. Lottery's a good one to close on. Uh, Puts you in a less melancholy place than If I Die. That is a fact. And I'm not here for a melancholy place. I'm here to enjoy a 21-year-old British woman who sounds like a 45-year-old woman from Memphis, Tennessee. Yep. This has been uh, the soundtrack to a life. Follow along on Facebook and Twitter at SoundtrackCast, SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, share us, rate us, review us, tell people in person about us, go up to people and then put headphones on them of this podcast as though it were a mixtape that you'd made and you really wanted them to listen to you too because it's 1983. Dan, what do you want to plug? I can find me on Twitter where I make the occasional bon mot or retweet funnier things from Mara Wilson and Maggie Mae Fish at Danny underscore G. I write about stuff that entertains me in a hopefully entertaining fashion at TalesFromPartsUnknown.com. Everything from 
travel adventures to life and community theater to rank ordering every single comic book TV series that is not based on Archie comics like it's my goddamn job. And also, I have a web series at writerscircleseries.com. His series is very funny, and his blog is very helpful. I don't want to watch all of the comic book series, but I do want to know which ones are worth watching. How did you enjoy the show, Dan? This is me sincerely enjoying something rather than just taking in culture in order to make fun of it later. Was it too jarring? No, it really sank into it. I mean, it helps that every now and then we did a drive-by on... Yeah, absolutely! I mean, I'm not entirely unmaking fun of things. I just want to actually enjoy things some of the time also. <laughs> genuine enthusiasm, genuine enthusiasm, unnecessary shot at Ed Sheeran, and then back <laughs> to genuine enthusiasm. Just for no reason. I don't even dislike Ed Sheeran. I don't like Ed Sheeran. I have no opinion on Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran, call me up. We'll have a drink. I'll see if I can develop an opinion on you. This has been the Soundtrack to a Life. We're going to be back in... Two weeks to begin our 2019 in review month. So we will talk to you then. Bye bye. Bye bye. You used to tell me that love is a lottery, but you got your numbers and you're fed in on me. You used to say.